Hey, Gaggle listeners, it's Ron. Tomorrow, we're talking about the status of police oversight in Phoenix. We're also talking about the call to defund the police. We explain what it all means and the likelihood of these proposals coming to fruition. But before that, we want to have you get some information about police shootings in Phoenix. So last July, the Arizona Republic released an in-depth investigation on this very subject. The findings provide a lot of perspective for the current unrest across the country. So today, we're re-airing this old episode. We hope you find it illuminating, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about Arizona's place in the national conversation about police shootings. We'll break down how many police shootings have occurred in Arizona, patterns within that data, the controversy surrounding the topic, and how this issue may play out politically. I won't say that we have a police shooting problem. 998-998, shot fired, shot fired. What's up, you're running stop out through the alley. Tempe police officer shot and killed a 14-year-old boy. Here to talk about that with us are reporters Bree Burkett and Uriel Garcia, who cover public safety for the Arizona Republic. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks. Nationally, there's been a lot of attention on police shootings for years. We've had all these high-profile cases, and the country has really spent a lot of time thinking about its relationship with police departments and law enforcement from here to New York. The conversation has really grown locally here over the past year. Yeah, this is really something in a public conversation right now. Uh, in 2018, Phoenix Police had a record-breaking number of police shootings with 44. That was the most uh, police shootings in the country, more than New York, uh, Chicago, L.A., and Houston. And so with 44, that is a number that doubled from 2017. And the recent shooting of a 14-year-old Antonio Arce by a Tempe police officer just really brought police shootings to a crux in the valley, and it's now becoming a focus not only locally, but also nationally. And we're talking with you two today because you compiled an unprecedented analysis of police shootings in Arizona. Why? With the recent high-profile shootings, uh, you know, activists were saying that police you are too quick to use deadly force, and they use it too often. And what we found is that uh, it it also affects uh, black people disproportionately. But we wanted to know if that's actually something that uh, was true. So, in order to answer the basic questions, is we wanted to know how many police shootings happen in Arizona. So in order to do that, we put in a records request with uh, 15 county attorneys in Arizona and the state attorney's general's office. And long story short, we got a ton of data. So I'm sure you've gotten a lot of reaction to this story. Um, is there a sense from your readers that this is maybe too political or too polarizing of a subject? 
There certainly is. Um, that's been a frequent comment we've received. But I think the key to all of this is we have to understand the context. Currently, there's no agency that tracks police shootings on a local level or nationally. Some local law enforcement agencies do track their own, but there's nothing to compare it. So no one, even those agencies that do track this, they're only looking at how many and how frequently. They're not considering, for example, whether mental illness was a factor, social economic info, um, race, things like that that are really important to understanding the trends. So so we thought tracking those bits of information were especially important to understand what was happening and have an accurate picture. It's absolutely important, I think, to have that context and to have that accurate picture. So let's dive in. Okay, so what did your investigation find? So we researched uh, eight years worth of police shootings. This is from 2011 and 2018. And how many police shootings have there been in Arizona? During that time frame, there were 600 different encounters involving 627 people. 353 of those people died. Um, there's still four cases that we're still working to determine, but total, Arizona police were averaging about 75 police shootings a year, and that's about a police shooting every five days. What cities or areas are the most impacted by these numbers, according to your analysis? The three police agencies with the most shootings is Phoenix Police with 201, the Tucson Police Department with 55, and Mesa Police Department with 50. Yeah, and so out of the state's 15 counties, uh, 14 counties' attorney's office have reviewed a police shooting. Uh, interestingly enough, the Santa Cruz County Attorney's Office, which is located in southeastern Arizona, is the only county that has not had any police shootings during that time period. Okay, so that's the numbers of shootings. What kind of patterns did you find, if any, among the victims? What we found is that most of the people shot by police were men, 89% of those were armed, uh, most of them with a gun. And as far as mental health, we found that 15% of the 600 cases, mental health was a factor in the shooting. We talk a lot about how race and ethnicity play in some of these police shootings. What did your investigation find on that front? What we found in Phoenix is we were able to identify 96% of police shooting victims' race and ethnicity. And that data shows that Native Americans and Black people were sh shot disproportionately when compared to their population numbers in the city. So overall, that is actually pretty in line with national trends. A recent study by the Department of Justice found that uh, people of color across the country said they experienced uh, uses of force more regularly than their white counterparts. Activists say that this stems from over-policing in certain neighborhoods, especially low-income neighborhoods, neighborhoods where um, there's a higher minority population or or that we're seeing uh, higher rates of mental health issues or any other things like that that were then represented in the data. Let's talk about the police officers. What did you find out about them? Within the Phoenix Police Department, when uh, an officer has been involved in a shooting, on average, they have at least 10 years of experience. And are officers regularly prosecuted in these cases or hardly ever? Of the 600 cases, only one has led to a prosecution, and that's the shooting of Daniel Shaver by uh, former Mesa officer Philip Brelsford, who was acquitted by a jury. Um, so even though he was charged, the uh, jury found that he didn't commit any crimes when, when he shot Daniel Shaver. Should we be surprised by those numbers? I mean, one prosecution? We really shouldn't. That is the trend nationally as well. I mean, even if an officer is prosecuted, it's very rare to get a conviction. How does Arizona compare to other cities and states across the country? 
So as far as um, how Phoenix compares to other cities is that when we analyzed the eight-year uh, data, we compared that eight-year data to other cities. And what we found is that Phoenix has been leading on a per capita basis. Uh, it's leading um, at New York, LA, um, Houston, and San Antonio. Um, However, the only other department that it didn't lead was Philadelphia PD. But when you take a closer look at Philadelphia, you'll see that they have a downward trend. So they had fewer police shootings last year, and that's a trend that has been going on for the past seven years. So even though Phoenix doesn't lead that department, it, it Phoenix has averaged uh, at about the same amount of police shootings, and then it shot up in 2018. Okay, so it sounds like we're out of step with where the nation is heading among big city police departments anyway. What are these cities and and the states more broadly doing differently than us, if anything? That's a really hard question to answer because there isn't a control group. There isn't one city we can look at to determine what works and what doesn't work. Every city is trying their own things, and it's impossible to identify what will fix the problem. There's obviously going to be difference among departments with their culture and their training. Activists and community members have pointed to those factors. They say that police are too trigger happy, that our training is too combative. Phoenix police specifically have said that we are seeing a population that is more prone to violence. They are more willing to engage with officers than they have been in the past. And oftentimes those encounters, they say, are involving weapons. Okay, so they're pointing to these violent episodes. Is there any evidence in the data that Phoenix is more violent than other big cities? Do we see more violent crimes? So what we have to look at here is our uh, violent crime rate as well as our homicide data. So interestingly enough, nationwide, homicide and violent crime climbed for years until it hit this peak in 2017, and then it steadily fell across the nation. And that was the case in Phoenix, too. Homicide rates dropped, as did violent crime. But police shootings continued to increase during that time period, which is really unheard of. Experts said we should have seen the exact opposite. As violent crime dropped, as homicide drops, police shootings should have decreased significantly as they did over the rest of the country. Um, Our worst year was 2018 with 44 police shootings in Phoenix, yet that was one of our lowest years for violent crime and homicide rates um, within that time period. So Phoenix police has pointed to an increase in the total number of assaults on officers involving firearms. So this is happening, but it's not necessarily dramatic enough to explain the increase. In 2016, there were 36 assaults on officers from people with firearms, 42 in 2017, and in 2018, there was 87. I mean, that's a significant increase, but we don't really know if that's enough to explain a nearly 50% jump in the number of police shootings. So let's talk about what's changing now. What can we expect to see in the future when it comes to addressing these shootings? I mean, how did Phoenix respond as to how they may address these numbers? So before publication, we had interviewed Phoenix police, uh, specifically the Phoenix police chief, and we had presented our findings to her But we noticed that in the interview, she didn't necessarily look at our numbers. She referred to her own department numbers. And her own numbers didn't necessarily have some of the uh, factors that we included in our study. Since publication, we really haven't seen any public response from 
either the Phoenix police chief or any of the unions that we interviewed. You didn't get a response, essentially, from them. What does that tell us? I don't know. I mean, they know. Obviously, they have this data at their hands much more easily accessible than it is for us. Um, And we did speak to them. Does this say they don't care? No, I don't think that. I think it just tells us that they're aware that this is the conversation happening. And I guess the reporting was solid enough that they didn't need to say anything else. Okay. So if there's no response from them, is there any reason to think that the department is doing anything differently at this point? What we know is that before the record-breaking number of police shootings in 2018, Phoenix police had come out and said that they had changed their training style at the academy. And what they specifically said is they have stepped away from military-style training, meaning that they don't treat cadets as if they're going through a boot camp. Um, That's the only thing different that they've said uh, publicly. But a couple other things that they have been working on before is rolling out body cams and tracking other factors. But again, these are all all things that they said that they had started working on before 2018. Yeah, so in 2018, Phoenix Police announced they were going to work with the National Police Foundation to identify some of the largest issues and then um, implement some recommendations to combat that. And we're seeing those slowly start to roll out. Those recommendations just came out earlier this year. So at this point, Chief Williams is still promising to implement those. So we'll just see as the year goes on. I mean, most notably nationwide, we saw police go into this mentality shift after Columbine, where they became more proactive and their thought was to rush into a crime scene instead of waiting to see how things unfolded. Phoenix police, like dozens of other, hundreds of other agencies across the nation followed suit with that. Other agencies, though, in recent years have pushed away from that tactic. And activists have criticized for police for kind of hanging on to that for a little too long. And Phoenix is recently starting to push away from that and going back to the more of the customer service mentality instead of this really combative, active approach. So I want to go back to the point you made about body cams. And I think uh, quite a few people would be surprised that not every single member on the force, at least in Phoenix, has a body camera. What's the update on that? This is a recurring theme that we're seeing in cities across the the country. What are we doing about it? Before the recent rollout of body cams, uh, they had started with the pilot program uh, with 300, about 300 body cams. Uh, And so, but we're talking about a force about nearly 3,000 police officers. Of course, not all of them are patrol officers, but that the 300 number to the nearly 3,000 is is a huge discrepancy. Um, most recently this year, this um, they started rolling out about 2,000 um, body cams. So that not all police officers currently have them. It's going out on a rolling basis based on precinct, but because of the recent high-profile cases that Phoenix Police has, uh, has received criticism, uh, that rollout has, uh, has gotten a sense of urgency now. Which precincts are they starting with generally? Like what parts of town? So they started uh, in the West Valley, if I remember correctly, with Maryville, Estrella. And then most recently they started with, with the South Precinct, so in South Phoenix. Okay, so that's something tangibly different and is intended to raise public confidence in the police department, I guess. What else is going to be done about all this? Uh, the mayor had called for a, a special city council meeting, uh, and in that meeting, 
counselors discussed having a, a civilian uh, board to look at use of force cases. It is something that the community is quite well aware of, and it's something that they want to continue talking about moving forward. And it's obviously something that you too will continue to cover, and we will be reading your stories. After learning of these patterns, did it change the way you think people should interact with police? Do you have any kind of tips or any real practical, tangible, everyday things that people can do to um, have conversations with their kids, even their grown kids, about how to keep themselves um, on the right side of police when they have these types of encounters? So there's two different approaches to interacting with police. Um, The common approach is encouraging people to follow orders, be polite, keep their hands visible, essentially be as cooperative as possible. Now, activists encourage certainly everyone to be cooperative and to still be polite, but to also be aware of your rights, um, whether you should consent to searches, what they have a right to do, that sort of thing, in addition to understanding that you can say no and you have the right to film officers. Um, And we are seeing that approach become more and more common as we see more of these high-profile controversial incidents. Well, Bri and Uriel, thanks so much for coming on. Listeners, you can find their police shootings project at policeshootings.azcentral.com. We'll be sure to put that link in the show notes as well. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Bree Burkitt. That's a B-R-E-E-B-U-R-K-I-T-T. My Twitter handle is at G. That's spelled U-J-O-H-N-N-Y-G. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. And what about Antonio Arce here in Tempe, Arizona? Too often times we have seen um, police mistreat, especially young men of color, a lot of young black men. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana was confronted by angry residents after the fatal shooting of a black man by a white police officer. If we want to bring down violent crime, then we must stand up for our police. We must confront and condemn dangerous anti-police prejudice. You just heard from Democratic presidential candidates Julian Castro and Mayor Pete Buttigieg talking about police shootings. The topic of police shootings has become really intensely political. This goes back at least to the Trayvon Martin shooting with uh, President Barack Obama. And we've continued to see this subject pop up with President Donald Trump, who's gearing up for his 2020 reelection bid. Locally, one of the stories that has really garnered the attention of residents here is the killing of a 14-year-old. His name was Antonio Arce, and he was shot by a Tempe police officer. We've heard about this story repeatedly from Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro, who has made uh, police reform one of the major platforms of uh, his campaign. He has talked a lot during his appearances here in Arizona and on the national stage about his plan to uh, try to really kind of crack down on over-aggressing policing, as he calls it, that disproportionately targets minorities. And he says through a variety of policies that include mandatory body cam videos that he says he will implement policies like this to ensure that these types of shootings don't occur. And this really isn't anything completely new. We've seen in 
you know, a generation ago, places like Washington and Detroit and other markets that the federal government with the Justice Department investigation really helped come in at moments of flashpoint cases that had communities up in arms and the kind of outrage receded because of oversight and changes in practice. And I think this has really kind of become a nationalized issue now with the Democratic Party really seeking to do this sort of uh, umbrella approach that everybody needs to be doing this, even if they haven't had their own shooting of a 14-year-old, they, they know it's at least possible. You see in Indiana, uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is a Democratic candidate for president, as we've noted, he is having to answer for criticism at home, particularly from uh, black residents in the aftermath of a police shooting there that has really divided um, his town and really exposed racial racial tensions there. He's having to answer for that shooting and his response to it on the national debate stage. And I think it's really kind of uh, highlighting this national conversation that's been going on since Barack Obama's tenure about race in America and uh, the treatment and the disproportionate treatment at times of minorities compared to whites. That's right. And on the flip side, I think that you see from Trump supporters and from Trump himself, this sense that law enforcement and uh, the rule of law is under siege by people who are taking up for people who are criminals or uh, engaged in in behavior that is problematic uh, at a minimum. And this division within the country is pretty deepened and it has spilled over, frankly, into other issues like border security and immigration, that there is just this sense that it's truly an issue of black and white, right and wrong, and that law enforcement is just doing their job and being taken to task for doing it. In your homes and at your kitchen tables, I'm sure that you're having conversations with your kids about how to interact with police. I know in my home, I'm having conversations already with my nine-year-old son about how he should respond to police. And I think that these are really important conversations to have, um, especially when you're talking about kids who can make, and adults too, who can make maybe bad decisions or poor decisions in the heat of a moment. Um, and so I would just encourage you to go back to what Bree said, have these conversations with your, your children, talk to them about um, what their rights are and what they should do if they encounter police in a difficult and contentious situation. Yeah, it's a sad state that people feel the need to try and prepare for that worst moment. And frankly, this is what police are trained for, for every day of their career. And the public is just trying to cope for that one moment that may or may not ever happen. It's a difficult thing. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley and our newest audio producer, Maritza Dominguez, with oversight from Katie O'Connell and Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.